And the Oscar goes to Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. And the Oscar goes to Lupita Nyong'o. And the Oscar goes to Halle Berry in Monsters Bay. And the Oscar goes to Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry. And the winner is Marvelous Meryl Streep. And the Oscar goes to Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. And the Oscar goes to Olivia Colman. Welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. It is true, everybody really is gay. I am Joe Gentile. And if I'm not thinking with my wiener, I'm acting directly on its behalf. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is this week's episode of Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy, Academy Awards per decade, per category, and this is the class of 1997. Sorry, it took me a second to get that out because I was not, <laughs> I was not expecting that intro from you. Well, when I heard that line, I knew I had to go with it. Perfect, perfect. And then, of course, the way I wanted to do that was the whole, is everybody gay? But it's like 10.50 in the morning right now in my apartment, and I don't want to get bitched at for uh, screaming that loud. Right. Plus two would not sound good to everyone's ears. Well, there's that. How you doing? Doing pretty well. Good, good. Your pop-up bar just happened, right? I don't think we've talked about that on here yet. No, yeah, we didn't. We didn't. We um, we took a little break from recording just because we were so busy, and uh, yeah, it went really, really well. Um, we did. I did a Friday the Thirteenth themed pop up bar for the Halloween season, which I know sounds contradictory, but um, you know, scary, spooky season, and um, raised money for the LGBT Center of Cleveland, and it was really, really, really successful and a lot of fun. And it was insane. Like, for a bar, put it this way, for a bar to do cash-only bar with a select amount of drinks, for their, for specialty drinks, at 8 bucks a pop, in three hours, we uh, did 1100 in sales. Wow. It was intense. And all that went to the center? No. The, um, so what happened there is that um, we did... Chinese raffle baskets. So we partnered with local businesses around town. Um, I got a hold of Adrian King, who played Alice, the survivor from the first Friday the 13th businesses. And, and then Adrian King donated a bunch of merch and products for these, um, uh, what should we call it, for the, uh, for the baskets. And then we sold raffle tickets at a dollar a piece or 12 for 10. And the money from the raffle baskets went towards the center. So the space that we used for it, the sales from the bar goes towards the space, and then the sales from the tickets goes towards the center. So we, we ended up raising over like $300 for the center. Okay. So it was, it was insanely cool. Yeah, in just um, a few hours. Yeah, in literally three hours. Um, so it was, it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. So, but other than that, nothing new and exciting. Um, personally, just heading to Gaga next week for, in Vegas for Halloween. Right. And uh, yeah. Well, we. Well, I mean, what about you though? Anything fun and new in your life? Um, I don't think so. Nothing really special's going on. I'm just kind of living my life here in Maryland. I have a rare weekend, completely off from work, so I'm going to try to do something at least tomorrow. I've got some stuff going on today, but. 
try to figure out what to do tomorrow to make the most of it because it rarely happens. Um, um, so we got to talk for a second because the, we're recording this in mid-October and this is actually one of the last two episodes we're recording. And this past week, we kind of had like a big, I don't want to say resurgence, but boom in our trafficking. Oh, um, yeah. On yeah. Twitter? Yeah. So, I mean, the episode by now is definitely premiered, but we, I was really, really excited after our 1991 episode. I was like, okay, like BKR, she's coming on, like we, we got to do this. And, you know, normally we, we announce midweek for the guessing contest on who, who is who. Uh, but we did it. I did it a day early, and we announced that BKR was coming on. And all of a sudden, like our following, like gained our traffic on the podcast. Gained like it was insane. That woman has a following. She really does. I was pretty. I was pretty surprised throughout the day. It just my phone just kept exploding with so and so is now following you. So and so is now following you. Like steadily throughout the day. And I yeah. have I have to think it has to be because of her and her following. So yeah. thanks, thanks Isabel for that. Right, and it's still going. That's the best part. And she was a really great guest too. So she was, she was. We've had really great guests so far. Um, yeah, Andrew, of course, was two weeks ago. Um, we had Isabel, we had Jim, and then we have one more for you guys, but we're not going to tell you who it is yet. Right. So. But anyway, uh, in 1997, very interesting year. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been very vocal about how much I hate this Best Actress lineup. I think it's one of the worst in history. Um, but the supporting actresses, uh, they got a couple good ones there. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about this year? Um, I'm kind of mixed on it. There's a couple in each category that I like. But overall, I can't say that I think either lineup is stellar from top to bottom. Yeah, agreed. Agreed, agreed. Well, we might as well dive right into it. I think we've, we, we've left the people waiting long enough. Right. So, 97, which means I have a supporting actress here. Oh, I keep forgetting to do this in the last couple episodes. I keep waiting until the end. Um, fun fact book before we get started. The Academy Awards, The Complete Unofficial History by Jim Piazza and Gail Kinner. Um, in 1997, of course, this was all about the year of Titanic. Titanic, Titanic, Titanic. James Cameron became the king of the world for 12 more years, uh, where he would dethrone himself as the top box office champ. Now, in 1997, here's the first. Helen Hunt became the first Best Actress winner to simultaneously star in a TV series. Previously, Goldie Hawn and Cloris Leachman had pulled off the same trick, but as Best Supporting Actress. Hmm. So there's your fun fact. Now, diving in. The uh, Supporting Actress nominees of 1997 were... Kim Basinger, an L.A. company... Joan Cusack in In and Out. Minnie Driver in Goodwill Hunting. Julianne Moore in Boogie Nights. Gloria Stewart in Titanic. All right, let's start off with this year's winner, um, Kim Basinger as Lynn Bracken in L.A. Confidential. This is her sole nomination and win. Going into Oscar night, um, she was somewhat of a force to be reckoned with. This year had three big contenders on who, I mean, honestly, this year had four contenders on who could have won out of the five. But going in, she had a Golden Globe win for Best Supporting Actress, a BAFTA nomination for Best Supporting Actress, and she 
tied at the SAG Awards with Gloria Stewart for Best Supporting Actress. Um, in L.A. Confidential, Kim Basinger plays a very pretty woman. And... Te- okay, I gotta be serious, I guess. So, how I take it as Kim Basinger plays a very pretty woman, but I guess her character actually is this 1920s vixen who looks like Veronica Lake. People tell her that in less than a minute. And she uses her seduction powers to get what she wants. But what do you think about her? Um, so I think her performance is more about her her look and her presence than it is about acting. I know that sounds kind of bitchy. L.A. Confidential is, first of all, a really great movie. Super complex movie. It, actually, it took me a couple of viewings to fully like understand exactly what's actually going on in this movie. Granted, I was pretty young when I watched it for the first time. But... For as complex as this film is, I don't find her character very complex. It seems very surface level to me. I mean, she's selling exactly what she needs to be. She's this sort of noir beauty that basically functions as a sort of quasi-femme fatale type character in this film set in 1950s LA. And she's doing everything she needs to do. I don't know how much is really being expected of her as a performer, but Kim Basinger, I would say, is just about as perfectly cast as you can get for a character like this. And I don't think she's bad per se. I just don't see the Oscar worthiness of it. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's my issue. I think... I know I can be pretty dramatic with feelings sometimes. I get it. I get it. It's just my thing. But this is honestly, in my humble opinion, one of the top five worst wins in this category. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that she isn't doing anything. Like you said, there is no moment where it's like, oh, here's an Oscar. Oh, here's a nomination. I honestly agree that Literally, she's just there, and it's her presence. But even, like, the simplest, and it's always the go-to clip with her, where it's like, you're the first man who didn't tell me I look like Veronica Lake in under a minute. She's so mousy, and she she's so flat in her delivery. So I honestly need to know where these people were voting for her at. Like, where was it? I think a lot of it had to do with the love of the film. I mean, L.A. Confidential was a huge film when it came out. And I mean, if it wasn't going to be Titanic, it was probably going to be L.A. Confidential at the Oscars. And so I would imagine it was um, some goodwill toward L.A. Confidential that might have secured her some votes. Also, maybe some personal life stuff, because wasn't this when the whole Alec Baldwin thing was happening? Yeah, I mean, they were together at that time. I don't know. I mean, like I said, going into this race, you had a Critics Darling, you had, you actually had two Critics Darlings, and... The the box office juggernaut. The box office juggernaut, and then you had the, you know, SAG win with Gloria Stewart, which we'll get here in a second. So there were really four people going into this night who could have won this, but this is just odd to me. This is, mm, I don't like it. She serves the function of the character. I'll give Kim Basinger that. Mm. She's definitely doing exactly what needs to be done. And I think this is, like I said, this is about as close to perfect casting as you can get for a character like this. 
But I don't know how much this role is really demanding of Kim Basinger acting chops wise. Yeah, and that's kind of what disappoints me. You know, there's there's moments in Oscar history where we're all super disappointed with something. I think this is one of them, just because there are so many better people in this category that you could have gone with. Mm-hmm. And it just really does feel like they just gave her the win for being a pretty lady. Because there's other people in this lineup who I think are stretching themselves and challenging themselves a little bit more yeah. as as far as their craft goes. Yeah. So this is an interesting win. Yeah, I agree. I don't like it. I'm not a fan of this one. It's definitely, I think, it, for me, it's in my top five worst in this category. So, Yeah, I'm a big fan of the film, not so much this this win. Yeah, because, I mean, we've talked about film noir before. It's a great it's a great genre of movie. And, and I said it, too. I believe I said it in when we did 75 with uh, uh, the one that Sylvia Miles was in. I mean, it seems like every decade or every other decade, there was a really solid film noir film. And mm-hmm. this would have been in that one of the 90s, you know? So, you know, that's just what it is. All right, moving on. We have Minnie Driver as Skylar, which I love that name for a girl, by the way. Skylar in Goodwill Hunting. This is her sole nomination. Going into Oscar night, she only had a SAG nomination for Best Supporting Actress. So Minnie Driver, in a way, was the quote-unquote surprise nominee that year because um, the biggest rival to get that spot would have been Sigourney Weaver in The Ice Storm. And let me tell you, have you ever seen The Ice Storm? Yeah, it's actually my, maybe my favorite Sigourney Weaver performance. It's a delicious performance, and I really wish we were talking about it tonight. I know, I really wish we were too, because I know in our 88 episode, I said how kind of lukewarm I can be on Sigourney Weaver, and I don't mm-hmm. think, I think I failed to mention that The Ice Storm is one of those performances where I think she is simply stunning. And yeah. I think it's one of her best, and it's too bad people don't talk about it as much as her other big ones. Yeah, and she was, if she would have been in this lineup, she would have been a big contender too, because she won more Critics Awards and the BAFTA that year for Best Supporting, so. Oh yeah, <sighs> she, she'd be vying for my top spot if she were in this lineup, to be honest. Yeah, agreed. But, poor Minnie Driver, we just took her time and gave it to supporting. <laughs> <laughs> driver is Skylar Goodwill Hunting. Um, yeah, so she plays an, uh, an English foreign exchange student who falls in love with a very young Matt Damon and is loaded with cash after her father left it to her after uh, he died. And it kind of becomes like a big issue with um, her relationship with Matt Damon. And you learn slowly that truly all she wants in life is love and the money she would give back in a heartbeat if she could just have that one more moment with her father. So what do you think about Minnie Driver as Skylar? So I cannot believe that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck made Minnie Driver say the word wiener in a film, but they did it, and it made me laugh, which is why I use it as my intro. I think she's um, fine in Good Will Hunting. Um, It's not a movie that I particularly love, and like Kim Basinger, I think she serves the function of the character. Um, She has some moments, but otherwise, I think Skylar is mostly just a love interest character to the protagonist who we're supposed to care about a whole lot more. I mean, she has a couple big moments like their their argument sort of breakup scene. But otherwise, I think she's just a um she's sort of just a love interest and Minnie Driver I think makes the most of it. Um I think she takes what opportunities Damon Affleck and Van Sant are giving her and she's doing her best to make a fully rounded character out of it. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm just not all that interested in the character of Skylar. 
See, I I will take your sentiment and agree with it. Um, it it is just seems like another love interest, and Driver does what she can best with this character. Now, with that said, because she gives the best with this character, I think this is stunning work from her, mainly because she is that girl that I knew in my early twenties, and she played it perfectly. She played your best friend that you can go get drunk with, and then that you can fall in love with, and. I think she's I think she's doing very nuanced work here and she doesn't get enough credit from people that she deserves. And I think a lot of it does have to do with the sentiment that we opened with about the ice storm and Sigourney Weaver. And it's unfortunate because I think this is that Penelope Milford effect where she doesn't take from the story and she pushes it where she needs to go for her arc. And then, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's perfectly well-crafted in that sense. Um, I do think the the fight scene is so realistic and beautiful and heartbreaking. And you really feel her pain when she does say all she wants is her dad. And what, you know, she's calling Matt out with like, what is with you and this money? And then I've seen that same girl when she does the blowjob joke about Patty and Mary with the beer. I just, I've known this girl and I think it's really good work. I, for me, like, I think she's one of the best things in this category this year. And I really like her. I like it a lot. Yeah, Minnie Driver is definitely showing up and turning out what she can here. I think it's just too bad that at the end of the day, I don't know how much this movie really cares about Skylar. I mean, yeah, yeah. it kind of it ends with, you know, Matt Damon going off and trying to find her and make things up. But at the end of the day, it's all about him. And... Yeah. I just wish the movie, I guess, I don't know if respected Skylar more is the right way of putting it, but I just wish she had more of a presence. Not necessarily screen time, but she that she was more of a component in this story beyond just being the object of his affection. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. I mean, I'm not running to ever to watch Good Will Hunting to watch Good Will Hunting. And if I do watch it, I watch it for me and Driver. I think for me... She's the best thing about the movie because she's the only character I find super interesting. I'm more interested That's in Robin Williams, personally, which, but Minnie Driver is not bad whatsoever. Yeah, which is funny because I don't like Robin Williams in this, and I know that he won this year for it. And I think Robin is was so much better in like Good Will Hunting, uh, well, was so much better in Dead Poet Society and Good Morning Vietnam than he was here. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but I don't know. I, I think Driver personally is the best thing about this, but that's just me. Well, we agree that it's not Matt Damon. <laughs> yes, it's definitely not Matt Damon. Or certainly I not mean, Ben Affleck. No, it's not Casey Affleck either. Next up, we had Gloria Stewart. I love how she's credited as Old Rose, who plays Old Rose in Titanic. This is her sole nomination and win. Um, going into Oscar night, she had a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting. Um, an LA Film Critics Association uh, nomination, and then again she tied with the SAG Award for with Kim Basinger for supporting actress, which made Gloria Stewart kind of a threat in this category. In Titanic, again Gloria Stewart plays Old Rose, and the story is really told from her point of view, eighty thousand years later from the events of the Titanic, and the movie ends, or the movie begins takes a break in the middle and ends with her storyline. 
So what do you think about Gloria Stewart as Old Rose? So I have some mixed feelings on it. The immediate thing that comes to mind for me is I think we have another example of the Margaret Layton effect where we have um, this actress of a certain refined age and she has a very strong presence in it. And I think that's really working in her favor. But she also has some really subtle nuance going on in her storytelling. The movie sort of uses her the way, in a similar way, to how Fried Green Tomatoes use Jessica Tandy mm-hmm. as this sort of framing device, this storyteller tool. Mm-hmm. But when we do see her in the beginning, that little sliver in the middle, and then that chunk at the end, she is giving a very tender performance, especially at the end when she's wrapping up the story, when young Rose is arriving in New York and sees the Statue of Liberty and then old Rose throws the heart into the ocean. She does have some really soft moments that I'm definitely going to give her credit for here. I just don't know if I'm seeing enough of this Rose for her to really win me over. I, I, I'm a very 50-50 on this. I'm kind of with you here. By the time you really meet this character in the movie, I mean, the movie takes about, I would say, what, 15 minutes to actually get to the Titanic um, it, with the present day stuff, or at that time in 97 present day. And it's like, as soon as you meet her, it like dives into her eyeball. And it's like, it was like, it was the ship of dreams. And then it's like, you're like, we just met this old hoe. And literally, we don't see her again to get enough of what who she is until it decides to pop out of her eye. And it's like, and that was the last day Titanic ever saw sunlight. And it's weird because the way like she delivers that line in particular, it's like she's reading it off of um a card. It's but like she's reading a storybook to a child. Yeah, it, there's something, there's nothing, um, let, me, let me say this, it's very generic until the end. And by the time it reaches the end where she's actually really kind of sad, um, and that's where I'm 50-50 on it, is that we've been through so much of this movie. And, I mean, the movie is three hours long. Now, I'm Mm -hmm. not going to say it's one of those three-hour movies where it feels like three hours. Because to me, it doesn't feel like that. But you do notice that you've been sitting down for a while with this movie. And And especially if you had to change VHS cassettes. Oh, my God. That was the best. Yes. And um, the thing about it is, is that I just, at that point, just don't care about her part because the present day shit is not the most interesting part of the movie. So it's like, okay, if, you, if, her, if her role is broken into 30 minutes and each minute is the 10 minute segments, the beginning, the middle, the end, that last 10 minutes, I just don't give a fuck. And that's where it's weird because that's where she's the best in. Yeah, I don't know how invested James Cameron was in Old Rose from like a writing standpoint. It seems like he's definitely way more invested in the directorial stuff, particularly yeah. the stuff happening in the past and making all that come to life. Um, because she does sort of have like a a librarian story story time mentality to the way this character is used. And it's not really until she walks out onto the deck of the ship in her, like, nightgown and climbs up on the rails. And I'm always so fearful for Gloria Stewart's life when when that moment happens, even though I'm sure it was probably, like, a stunt double. But it's, like, when she throws the the necklace in, she has that little yelp 
and then she like looks up and she knows that Jack will live on now in the store in the minds of these people she just told the story to and she doesn't need the necklace anymore or whatever it's all supposed to mean that you really see something something going on inside of um Gloria Stewart that like seasoned actress thing going on um where she really sells it to me but overall I think it's really all the stuff that um Kate Winslet and James Cameron are doing in the past portion of the movie that's really giving us the fuel that we need for Gloria Stewart to sell that moment, if that makes any sense. It's not really just her doing it on her own. It's the movie acting as a whole and then mm-hmm. concluding with her where it all really comes together. I don't know without all that context if it would really work. The movie's all kind of working together in that moment. Listen, I'm glad you brought it up. I was trying to avoid it because I was going to act up, act irate with that shit. If I had seen this little old bag of lady throw this bajillion dollar fucking necklace over, I would have slapped a hoe and thrown her over it and made her go fucking dive after that shit. Bitch, I ain't trying to work no more. If I could sell that shit, I would have. Mm, I did not. Mm, nope. Nope. You're always trying to live your best Anna Nicole life. I just want my Anna Nicole life. I am so upset. Have you ever seen the original ending that they use that's on YouTube for this? No, I don't think so. Oh, it's terrible. It's fucking awful. Do yourself a favor, but avoid it. But do yourself a favor and go just YouTube when we're done here. Original Titanic ending, and it is terrible. Okay. But still, I would have thrown that little old lady right over the fucking ocean. But, nope. Bye, idiot. Makes me so upset. Who throws away bajillion dollars? Old bag died the next day anyway. Ugh. I'm very, I'm very angry about that. Yeah, fuck romance. <laughs> I am not looking for love. I'm looking for a check. Um, next up is Julianne Moore as Amber Waves in Boogie Nights. This is her first of five nominations. Um, here's one of the potential winners of this year. Uh, she was a critic starling. She was nominated for the Golden Globe, but uh, and the SAG Award, but won the LA. Film Critics Award and the National Society of Film Critics for Supporting Actress. In Buggy Nights, again, Julianne Moore plays Amber Waves, who is a porn star, who is a drugged out sex addict who deals with her inner demons as well as trying to get the custody of her daughter back in the heyday of American porn in the 70s. What do you think about Julianne Moore as Amber Waves? I really love Julianne Moore in this film. Um, I think it really says something when a movie can be as big as Boogie Nights with such a vast cast. And you can still stand out and remain in my mind long after the movie's over. Um, I think she's she's just splendid in this movie. Um, I feel for this character so bad. Like, I had forgot. It had been a long time since I had seen this movie. I think the last time I watched it was, like, in school. And I had forgotten all the stuff about, like, her son and, like, a lot of her backstory. And, like, when they're at this, that party scene and the son calls and... Someone um, someone answers it and is like, hey, it's some kid looking for his mom. And then it cuts to her doing like a line of coke and then lifting up her head and she's like dazed the fuck out. And you realize how far she's come or how far she's fallen and how big of a struggle it's going to be for her to reunite with her kid. And then she has that scene where they're battling for custody in the that like room with the judge. And you really feel for her and... I think she's just really good in Boogie Nights. I think it's putting a lot of Julianne Moore's talents on display. 
I would agree. Um, I think this is a really strong first nomination, and it's interesting because, you know, it only showed us if this is a really strong debut, what else she can do. You know, it wasn't one of those nominations where it was your first, and it was really, really strong, and the follow-up um, nominations were really bad. Um, but I think, you know, I living have, have lived in L.A. and have been to these type of L.A. parties where it's just literally tables of just lines and mountains of coke and seeing the porn stars like that or seeing the actors like that um mind you i also worked at the viper room like i've seen the these famous people in this scenario like i witnessed this in life so it's 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 kind of really interesting when you see life imitating art in a way and then again imitating life um for more though you know i've got a couple issues with the performance but nothing it's kind of petty i just think like my biggest issue with it is that damn like scene with heather uh what's her face heather, heather graham, graham where she's like call me mom she's like i'll be your mom like it, i mean yeah that's the coke i get it like that's kind of what happens when you're on coke but it's that for me that that scene just felt very forced but i think that's more to the direction of anderson and not so much on more um but i think this is really good um i like it i almost kind of want boogie nights to be like a trilogy in a way because i'm enthralled with this world of 70s porn for some reason um i think it's super interesting i think there's way more you could tell about that story um but i i think it's a it's one of my favorite paul thomas anderson movies probably next to magnolia and i don't think personally anderson has done really good movies outside of those two but that's i mean we have a couple to talk to later or talk about later on um but I, yeah i think boogie nights is a really great movie and i think um, even with the casting of Mark Wahlberg, who I'm not the biggest fan of, it works as a whole. Yeah, I really enjoy scenes where actors are acting, like their characters mm-hmm. are acting. And mm-hmm. her scenes when she, when she and Mark Wahlberg are performing in their pornographic films, I find super funny. Um, the ways in which her character changes and then also doesn't change when she's going into these uh, porno character uh, head spaces I find really funny and the like noises that she makes and the way she gets into it I just find really entertaining and like you're saying I definitely want more of that I want this world to be opened up even more and I also really um, admire the arc that Anderson gave this character I like how she changes business-wise over the course of the story mm-hmm. and how she becomes this sort of not mogul but like executive artist within the porn industry and how she really tries to upend it and change it for the better i guess Mm. you could say i really admire that and i think that's a really smart way of going forward with this character so i think uh moore and anderson came together in that way and i think the arc of the character is one of the things that really sells me on moore's performance yeah yeah and i mean it does as a whole with the film just it really just gives you when you're at the top and how dark it can get when you're at the bottom i mean not even just for moore's character but but for everybody i mean god the curb stomping scene is awful with the Mm -hmm. fucking roller with roller girl like it's just disgusting like the movie it is this movie is one of those movies where you want to take like a silkwood shower at the end of it because you feel just as dirty as what is going on in the movie yeah and it's movies that can do that are beautiful to me the the dirtiness is beautiful 
So hats off to Paul Thomas Anderson for that one. Yeah, it's. I think which, it's a really well crafted film. Which, by the way, do you know Paul Thomas Anderson is the son of Goulardi? Yeah, yeah. So there's. So for those of you who don't know who Goulardi is, um, in Cleveland in the seventies and eighties, um, they were really. You, you know how like how Elvira had shows. It was like on Saturday nights and right. You know that type of thing. We had here in Cleveland. We had um, even. I mean, the reruns ran in the nineties, so that's where we watched it. Yeah, I think but it was syndicated we, at one point. Yeah, but originally Goulardi, broadcast in Cleveland. Yeah, Goulardi was like a horror movie um, host, and then we had like Big Chuck and Little John, who did like comedy. Um, so Goulardi is a big presence in the Cleveland scene, even to this day. And his son is Paul Thomas Anderson. So yeah. there's a nice little Cleveland connection there. Mm-hmm. All right, our final nominee. We have Joan Cusack as Emily Montgomery in In and Out. This is her second of two nominations. Um, going into this, she, again, was kind of a, a threat here because she's the other critic's darling. She had the Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actress, but won the Critics' Choice Award and the New York Film Critics Association Award. Um, in In and Out, again, Joan plays Emily, who is the soon-to-be bride of the Kevin Klein character, who, once upon getting to the altar, finds out that her soon-to-be hubby is gay decides to have just a full-on breakdown and leave her good girl image behind. Um, what do you think about Joan Cusack as Emily in In-N-Out? I love her in In-N-Out. Uh, Joan Cusack this year is, I guess you could say, definitely the comedic outlier of this mm-hmm. lineup. I mean, she and she stands out in that way. And what better actress than Joan Cusack to play this, at first, picture-perfect bride-to-be and then give her the ultimate breakdown as the movie plays out. And her breakdown is hysterical. I love when she's just like roaming around town in her wedding dress, just losing her shit and shouting at random people. I think she's hilarious. And yet this is another example of perfect casting. This is like, I can't think of someone else who I'd rather see than Joan Cusack. I'm sure other actresses could have done it, but would I want to see someone else other than Joan Cusack? I don't know. I think she's really, really stunning in In-N-Out. Yeah, I agree. And In-N-Out is a weird movie because it just feels so fake with like this town and everything. Um, and this like weird good guy image of Kevin Klein. But I mean, like, and it's also one of those movies that just isn't Oscar movie-ish, if that makes sense. So for the fact that she did so well to get recognized, it's just a a pure um, testament to the talent that Joan Cusack carries. Now, I love this performance. Um, I'm sure a lot of people, because obviously we haven't done the guessing contest, has me for this performance because it's a comedy. And this is, again, that old trope that I have of if you do comedy right, you know, and here she does it right. I mean, she does everything her character needs to um, really sell it. The, the the breakdown process is, fuck Barbara Streisand. Does anybody else realize how many times I had to watch Funny Lady? Seth. Um, by the way, that was adorable. Um, That's a true story, by the way. That was amazing. And he is definitely the one. Um and, you know, it, which I don't think Barbara Streisand voted for her for that because that would just, that seems petty to me. And that's a Barbara thing. Um, 
But no, I, I, you know, I think it's so good. There's so many quotable one-liners here, and it is just magic what she does here. Um, I don't know if this is supposed is going to come off shady, but I think Joan Cusack is also too the most surprising person to ever get two nominations because it doesn't seem like she because she's not given enough chances to actually show her talent. Does that, am I making sense? Yeah, I mean, if you consider her work in both Working Girl and In and Out, they don't feel like Oscar performances. But Joan Cusack is definitely giving you everything that you need, but it doesn't feel like the Academy's cup of tea. Right. So I can, so I can see how some people would be quick to discount her, mm-hmm. even though that would be a total mistake, in my opinion. Yeah. You gave her the win with me, right, for Working Girl? Yeah, I did. We had definitely agreed there. So, go Joan. I like it. I like this a lot. I do too. I think you were right when you were saying that, or you were implying that there is a bit of an artificial nature to this movie, to the way that it's put together visually and like the production design and even the acting in a way is a little bit cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. And I think that's um, an intentional thing because when the movie begins, Kevin Klein and Joan Cusack's characters are supposed to be this perfect suburban couple. Like, they're both teachers. They're both living this quaint, little, perfect couple life. And then this... Right, and and they're watching the Oscars and what could be more gay than that. And that's Mm. the very thing, because the the whole monkey wrench then gets thrown into their situation where it comes out that Kevin Klein is gay. And the... Everything that was once artificial starts to break down and reality starts to set in. And I think that was a I think that was an intentional thing on Frank Oz's part to tell the story that way visually. And I think mm-hmm. Kevin Klein and Joan Cusack are both playing into that director's vision. And I think that's part of what makes her breakdown so compelling is because she's stripping away all this nonsense, this American beauty perfect family nonsense and she's breaking through into real life and then that's also where the real comedy comes in because she realizes that perfection is an artifice Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense and yeah i think joan cusack is just stellar in this oh yeah i agree and i want to give a shout out too because i have never been attracted to tom Selleck, but holy hell is he cute in this movie Mm -hmm. i could dig it he gave me big daddy vibes Okay, so your lead actresses from 1997 were... Helena Bonham Carter in The Wings of the Dove. Julie Christie in Afterglow. Judy Dench in Mrs. Brown. Helen Hunt in As Good As It Gets. Kate Winslet in Titanic. Okay, let's kick it off with our winner for the year. We have Helen Hunt winning for As Good As It Gets. This is her first of two nominations. Going into this, she was a bit of a frontrunner because she gets two big ones. She wins the Golden Globe for Comedy and the SAG Award. And she's also recognized with the Chicago Film Critics, the LA Film Critics, and with the MTV Movie Awards. In As Good As It Gets, Helen Hunt plays Carol, 
a single mother to a very sick child, and she's also a restaurant waitress to a very cantankerous old man who she sort of gets into a relationship with. So thoughts on Helen Hunt in As Good As It Gets. She's, um, she's good, I guess. Um, I, I got issues with this. I have issues with this, and this is where I'm glad we started here, because like I said before, we in the past, and when we started, I considered the best actor sign-up of 1997 to be one of the worst in history. This win, too, I think is pretty bad. I just, there's something about Hunt that comes off so artificial in every line delivery, and I don't like to say that, because I think she's like, for example, she's She's good in the sessions, like her other nomination. She's really good there. But there's something so fake about what she's doing here that it doesn't it doesn't come off right to me. It seems it's very one note. A lot of her deliveries come off flat. And I I don't know if it's truly her performance or just the love the Academy had at this point for what's his face, the director, James Brooks. Yeah. And you know, I've, you know, we've talked about Brooks before in terms of endearment, which is my favorite Brooks movie. You know, we talked about him with broadcast news, which I kind of still have the same issues a little bit with, um, as this one. I don't know. This is just something about this rubs me the wrong way. And I revisited the movie itself a couple weeks ago when we were getting ready for this. And the movie's just not that great either. I don't know. What do you think about it? Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I don't like it at all. I don't think you're overthinking it. I'm not super fond of this film either. I think when it comes to terms, broadcast, and this one, this is probably the bottom for me. Um, I'm not super fond about the movie. Helen Hunt's performance, I hear what you're saying with the artificial nature of it. She does have a very unique way of delivering her lines and it's in a way that I don't entirely buy I mean I'm kind of hit and miss on it because yeah she definitely has a strange way of saying her lines but is it different than how someone in real life would say them maybe not maybe it's a very natural way that a normal human would say her lines, like stripping away the actorness of it all, if that makes sense. But this is sort of like with Goodwill Hunting. When this movie is over, I don't think her character is the one the film is primarily interested in. Mm-hmm. I think the Jack Nicholson character is the one that Brooks has more interest in, and it's the character he wants the audience to have more interest in. I mean, he's the one that changes mostly. Her character is sort of a tool for him to change. I mean, she makes him want to be a better man and all that. Mm-hmm. And she has this sort of heartstrings storyline with her son who is just like consistently sick. And but after a while I find myself not caring so much about her story, and I think it's because this movie's not all that interested in her primarily. I mean, she's I'd say she is in the right category, but she's definitely secondary to Nicholson in this story the way that it's told and i'm not all that fond on it overall yeah i mean i i don't disagree with anything you're saying i i I feel like in we definitely share the same eh with this so i'm just not i'm not invested in anything about this 
Yeah, me neither. Um, this is probably my least favorite of books of Brooks's outings. And I can't say that her performance saves it for me in any way. It feels like a character that, frankly, anyone could have played. Yeah, there's anyone could have done this and probably have done it blind going into it. Um, I would like to note, I think it's interesting that every time Jack Nicholson's Jack Nicholson wins an Oscar, his lady wins with him. So, you know, oh, interesting. Lu- yeah. Louise Fletcher, Maureen Stapleton, Helen Hunt. Um, so, you know, just OK, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah, I'm not too crazy about it. So next up, we have Helena Bonham Carter, um, nominated for The Wings of the Dove. This is her first of two nominations. And going into Oscar night, she was pretty much the critic's darling of the leads because she wins with the Boston, Dallas, Kansas City, Las Vegas, London, Los Angeles film critics, as well as the National Border Review. And she's recognized at the Globes, the BAFTAs, the SAGs, the National Society of Film Critics, and with the Chicago and New York Film Critics. And in Wings of the Dove, Helena Bonham Carter plays Kate Croy, a woman who must choose between a life of privilege or a life of uh, living as a working class person with the man that she loves and cannot live without. So thoughts on Helena Bonham Carter in The Wings of the Dove. You know, I avoided this movie for a very, very long time because... I thought it was going to be like another ivory picture type movie. And while it's not, um, it does it definitely doesn't have that feel. So I, I enjoyed the movie a little bit more. I think what Bonham Carter is doing is very subtle work and very under the radar, if that makes sense. But it works for her and it works for what she's doing because a lot of her acting she's doing with her face compared to compared to her live deliveries. I mean, even in her opening scene where she's on the, she's on the tube and she's got like this, like her fuck me pumps on pretty much. And she's meeting up with who she wants to be her lover. She's very seductive in her movement and in her face. And there's something about it that works for me. And I think it's just, You know, I've always thought it's funny that Bonham Carter gets nominated for these period pieces instead of her signature wacky character pieces. Um, So I think for first nomination, it's good, but I'm not like wowed by it. Yeah, so I was also really surprised by how much I liked Wings of the Dove. This was my first time watching it, and I had also been kind of putting it off because I'm very hit and miss mostly miss with the whole merchant ivory stuff like as we've said i don't want to go too much into it but it's clearly not our thing so Mm -hmm. i wasn't so even though this is not a merchant ivory film it's i expected it to have that same energy for me Mm -hmm. but watching it i was really surprised by how much i was actually invested in this story and carter's performance because like you were saying, this is the complete opposite of what people know her for. Like people think Helena Bonham Carter and their mind immediately goes to Bellatrix Lestrange or her various Tim Burton characters. But here she's very in control and she's very um, polished and refined and subtle in a way that we don't always get from her. This is not the unhinged Helena Bonham Carter that we're so accustomed to these days. 
And I think she's doing some really fabulous, low-key stuff here. Um, I was also really invested in the story. And like we were saying with Julianne Moore, if your story is working with you, it helps me um, Mm -hmm. with your performance. Because I was really invested in this sort of plot that she and her writer lover had going on where, you know, she has a choice where she can either not be with him and keep her riches or be with him and lose everything. And then this heiress who's terminally ill comes along and they come up with this plan of getting her lover to seduce the heiress and marry the heiress so the heiress can die and leave all her riches to him and then they can get married like they always wanted to and it's the best of both worlds and of course that's not how it plays out and people start falling in love with the wrong people and i was surprisingly really captivated by this story helena bonham carter's ending scene after um Millie, I believe is her name, has died and her, um, I can't remember the guy's name, is back with her and they're in bed and they've just made love. And Carter's like, do you still love her? Are you still in love with her memory? And the guy can't answer the question. And there's this prolonged close-up on Carter's face as she realizes that her grand plan ended up becoming a tragedy and her life's not going to go the way she wanted it to. And her internal breakdown in that moment, I think, is really beautiful in the saddest way. And I think Carter's doing some really wonderful work here, even if it's not explosive and obvious. I can see why she was the critic's darling of the year. Yeah, I think the ending to her character is like the ultimate karma. Like, Yeah, it is. Because she, I mean, she and her lover were doing something really shitty, to be perfectly honest. And uh, it came back to her in the ass yeah you know you start off really feeling for her character and first of all can i just i want to give a shout out to charlotte rampling and the beautiful caftan life that she's living because that's the caftan ish that i can totally not like being a bitch but you know what i mean like like answering the door when my lover dies wearing those caftans like that's what i love about that character but i you know you really feel for her and it's like god she's this trapped little girl at the end of it, you're kind of, like, disgusted by her. Like, it does a full 150, or 150, Jesus Christ, 180 of a character. And, yeah, I think it's, I think it's the ultimate payback in, in, in her form of karma at the end. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was really surprised by how much I liked this movie. And it was so weird. After I finished it, I was, like, compelled to read the book. Like, I haven't gotten it, and I haven't read it. But I, it's very rare when I watch a movie and have that feeling. So this definitely took me by a surprise, considering how I had been kind of avoiding it. So it was a, it was a pleasant surprise. Agreed. Next up, we have Julie Christie, nominated for Afterglow. This is her third of four nominations, previously winning in 1965 for Darling. And then she was up again in 1971 for McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Going into this, uh, she wins the... Spirit Award, she wins with the National Society of Film Critics, and she wins with the New York Film Critics Circle. And that's pretty much all the major stuff she was recognized for. She's only recognized for a few things, major, and she won them. And in Afterglow, Julie Christie plays a woman named Phyllis. She is a former B-movie actress turned a housewife with marital problems. So thoughts on Julie Christie and Afterglow? Okay. Do you remember how I just said in in and out something about it feels very very fake? Yeah. Talk about some lifetime 
Z-list movie bullshit feel that Afterglow has. Like, just the the look of it. It's got, like, the RuPaul's Drag Race Season 1 Vaseline filter on it. Like, this movie just feels so cheap. And this story sucks. And Laura Flynn Boyle is like Mia Farrow in the realm of she can't act herself out of a paper bag. Holy shit, this movie is bad. Here's the here's the kicker. I have my issues with Julie Christie. I could not stand Julie Christie. I did not like Julie Christie at all in McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I don't, we haven't talked about her at all since then. But I do like this performance. I think it's, while well, this whole lineup I have my issues with, as a whole, I do think this performance is intriguing and so over-the-top ridiculous that I can't help it's, like, so bad that I like it type thing. But I like it because it's the only saving grace this movie has, and she's just ridiculous. What do you think about it? I would like to know who blackmailed Julie Christie into being in this movie and what dirt do they have on her? Because this movie is borderline garbage, but she is pretty good in it. It was kind of funny while watching it. It felt vaguely familiar. And yeah, it is kind of a rehash of every like couple switching drama that you've seen. But I'm pretty sure I wrote Afterglow in film school. Like I'm pretty sure one of the scripts that I wrote was basically Afterglow but with like different characters with different occupations. And it feels like a student written film yes. in a way. And I can say that having fully just admitted, I wrote that shit when I was like 20 years old. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's not a very good film, but Julie Christie, I think is doing certainly the best that she can do with it because she is probably the saving grace of this film. She's definitely the only thing that's that makes this film even worth watching. Not that I would necessarily recommend Afterglow unless someone said they were a huge fan of Julie Christie and hadn't seen it. And then I was like, well, okay, if you want to be a completist, go ahead and watch Afterglow. But it's not exactly one I'm going to be screaming from the rooftops about. But um, I think she's doing perfectly fine here. Um, yeah, so pretty much all I got. I mean, it's a it's a crap movie with a delightful little performance somehow weaved into it. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I like I, I revisited this and I knew that the movie was bad because I'd seen it like five or six years ago when I was doing my Oscar completions um, of every category. But and I was like, God, this movie was terrible. And then I revisited this probably two or three months ago, and I was like oh god it's even worse the second time around like it's so bad like Uh. even even nick nolte i'm not crazy about and i usually like him i feel like he's i mean he was he was he was something else in lorenzo's oil but other (laughs) than that i usually really admire what he's doing and even him in afterglow i was like how who wrangled you into this movie i don't know this Afterglow just is a hot mess to me. And Julie Christie is like the one saving grace about it. I'm, you know what? It's funny. And I just, I'm going to bring it up really quick. I love how you didn't even touch Laura Flynn Boyle. Like you didn't even oh. mention oh, I forgot that, about that mess. Yeah. Um, I don't hate Lara Flynn Boyle as an actress. She's doing something here in Afterglow that I can't quite put my finger on. I don't know if it's supposed to be a stylized thing or what. 
But I do like her in other things. I don't think she's a bad actress overall, but this movie's not doing her any favors. That's for sure. Johnny Lee Miller plays her husband. Even he's like in a on his own planet in this movie. Yeah, and his English accent keeps popping through when he's talking. And I was like, did no this was the nobody noticed this in the take? Like, hello. Mm-hmm. I want to say something, and maybe I want your opinion on it. Because that like Laura Flynn Boyle's character could have been a supporting actress nominee because it just it had so many quote unquote Oscar moments for her. What makes it so bad is you can tell that Laura, I think, knew and was really trying to score a nomination, so it came off way too much like she was trying. Like it was like, so hard. Like she's playing every scene like it's going to be an Oscar clip. Yes. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I mean if I mean if Julie Christie could turn out a lead nomination for this, another actress certainly could have turned out a supporting one. But yeah. it's certainly possible. But um I don't think it was ever gonna happen for this Lyra Flynn Boyle performance. No, no. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. Afterglow is a a special film, <laughs> that's for sure. That's no bueno. No. Next, we have Judy Dench nominated for Mrs. Brown. This is her first of seven nominations. Uh, going into this, she was also a bit of a frontrunner. She uh, wins the Golden Globe, the BAFTA, the Chicago Film Critics, and the London Film Critics. And she's recognized with SAG, the National Society of Film Critics, and the New York Film Critics. And in Mrs. Brown, uh, Judy Dench plays Queen Victoria, who's mourning her husband's death, then finds comfort in her horseman, Mr. Brown, and their uh, relationship, if you will, leads to gossip and scandal ensues. So thoughts on Mrs. Or on Judy Dench in Mrs. Brown. First of all, what a wonderful little movie. I This was also a movie as a whole that took me by surprise at how much I was in, like really invested in all these characters. And hello to a very young Gerard Butler. I never saw that coming. For some reason, I didn't notice his name in the opening credits. And like when he popped on screen, I'm like, wait, is that? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's him. Judy Dench, though, really good first nomination here. Very strong performance. Um, very much a, a force to be reckoned with in her own right here. You know, it's funny because if you look at if you look at uh, the performances of Judy Dench, there are half queens pretty much and then half people and so this was just like a uh, a nice little beginning for her and i like it yeah i do too um judy dench in mrs brown has a lot of emotional weight like this movie starts off with her in mourning and given that she is the queen basically the entire nation is in mourning and everyone seems to be walking around on eggshells around her because no one knows exactly what she's feeling or is going to say at any given moment. And there's a real power to her performance. And I love the way she changes over the course of the film when she starts interacting with the Bill Connolly character who plays her like servant groundsman horse guy. I don't know what his title was, but... um the way she confides in him and 
finds a way to become a normal person because yeah, she is playing queen Victoria and everyone, you know, treats her like she is the queen, which is, you know, on a near godlike level. And then he rolls up and he's like, you ain't shit. I don't care that you're the queen. And he doesn't seem to be phased by it. And I think at first that takes her aback. And we get to see a really fun side of Judy Dench where she doesn't know what to do because no one's ever spoken to her like this. And then over time, she realizes this is kind of nice. I like that this guy is treating me like I'm a normal person and we're on the same level, even though we're definitely not. And it's really fun to see Judy Dench go in and out of these different spaces and be treated differently by different people. And as their relationship progresses, word of mouth spreads and rumors start and they have to deal with that. And I, I think this is a delightful little movie. This is actually my first time watching it, doing homework for this episode. And I was quite fond of it, honestly. So it was a, it was a good first time watch. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Anything else on Judy Dench and Mrs. Brown? No, no. Like I said, I'm not very invested in any of these. So it's like, I mean, I mean, yes, we love doing this. This is our podcast, but getting through this category for me is like a chore. So I'm just like, "Eh, all right. Yeah, I I think it's a really lovely first nomination for Judy Dench coming pretty late in life, too. I mean, it goes to show there's no like perfect time to start or, you know, or if you've if you're beyond a certain age, it's over for you. I mean, Judy Dench has what, like seven nominations and she didn't start until she was basically middle-aged, as far as the Oscars yep. go. So it's never too late for anybody. Exactly. The here. Okay. Uh, next, <laughs> we have Kate Winslet, nominated for Titanic. This is her second of seven nominations, previously having been recognized for Sense and Sensibility in 1995. And she does not win anything major going into Oscar night. But she is up at the Golden Globes with the London Film Critics with SAG as both an individual performer and as ensemble. And she's nominated for three MTV Movie Awards uh, for Female Performer, for Duo with Leonardo DiCaprio, and for Best Kiss with Leonardo DiCaprio. So I just thought that was a fun little thing. And in Titanic, Kate Winslet plays Rose, a.k.a. Young Rose, a young rich woman who... um, develops feelings for a poor artist right before everyone needs to learn how to swim. So thoughts on Kate Winslet and Titanic. Uh, Okay. Even as a kid, this movie came out when I was in kindergarten. So 1997, even as a kid watching this movie, I'm like, why is this, why is this 30 year old woman like listening to her mom? Like, so Winslet, to be just never played as a 19 year old girl essentially to me. So I just find the casting very odd right there. Um, I think in Titanic, her work is fine for the movie, but nothing is Oscar worthy here in acting for me. Um, I think Winslet realized what type of movie she's in. She went for it. You know, Titanic was a big blockbuster movie. So I think that's what she's giving us is blockbuster acting, which I don't mean to sound shady, but I mean, if it sounds shady, take it for what it is. I just think the the, the, the acting works for the movie, but it, it nothing screams 
awards to me here. I think the uh, Kate Winslet getting in is just the Titanic effect of 97. Um, just like I think Gloria Stewart getting in is really kind of the Titanic effect. Um, I mean, if you're going to nominate someone to Titanic, Kathy Bates was right there. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, I think um, the huge sweeping success of Titanic was certainly working in Wenslet and Stewart's favor here. Like Stewart, I don't think there's anything remotely bad about Kate Winslet's performance. I can see how you were saying how her performance fits the movie that she's in. I mean, this is a big blockbuster film, and I don't think her performance in Titanic is anywhere near her best. However, she does give little moments throughout that show that she's not just going through the motions and reciting lines. Like, um, the scene where young Rose is first given the heart of the ocean necklace or whatever it's called from Billy Zane. And he's like explaining to her the history of the necklace. And he says the French name for it and she goes to translate it. And then he steps on her line and translates it for her. And she gives him like this little look of bitch. I speak French better than you probably. And it's these little tiny moments where Kate Winslet, the actress is really shining through this otherwise just really loud bombastic movie and so i think she is doing some really interesting work here and she's finding moments within the blockbusterness of titanic to shine they're just not very obvious and you kind of have to dig for them but um overall yeah i'm sure she a lot of the reason she got in is because of the big success that was titanic i mean it's one of the most nominated movies ever and whatnot and it became like the number one movie for the longest time. So I'm not like shitting on Kate Winslet in any way. I just think it's um, it's perfectly good for what it is. Um, and I don't have anything super going to say about it, but I also don't think she's remotely bad. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that sentiment. Exactly. Now, I, I just thought about this as you were talking about it. Let's put Titanic in modern day cinema. You know, I could totally see doing this role, though. Hmm. And obviously, the 19-year-old aspect would have to be raised because it wouldn't work, even for her. But is Lady Gaga. Oh, okay. That'd be interesting. I, yeah. Something about Gaga totally screams Rose Dewitt Bucator. Okay. I don't know. I could see it. That's just me. I'd like to see it. For some reason, the first person that came to my mind was Saoirse Ronan. I see it. So that was our final lead actress of 1997. Any other final thoughts before we get on to rankings? May the odds forever be in anyone's favor in that category. Okay. <laughs> All right. To go over again, the 1997 supporting actresses, your nominees were Julianne Moore in Boogie Nights, Kim Basinger in LA Confidential, Gloria Stewart in Titanic, Joan Cusack in In and Out, and Minnie Driver in Goodwill Hunting. Um, fifth spot for me that year is by far Kim Basinger, the winner. She's doing nothing here to even garner a nomination from me. And again, I think it's just one of the worst wins of all time in that category. So Kim Basinger at five. Kim Basinger also gets my number five. I'm not quite ready to say it's one of the worst of all time, but I'm definitely not super enthusiastic about it in this lineup. I think she serves the movie perfectly fine, but um, she's not what I'm like thinking about and thinking about LA Confidential, um, which is a really stunning film. So yeah, she gets my number five. 
Hey, we agree there. Let's see if we agree here. Number four, Gloria Stewart. Um, like I mentioned earlier, if you if you really think about her performance in te- three ten minute acts, the first two come off very phony, and by the time you get to the good one, you're just so you're so ready to go, which is sad because that's where the best part is. But as a whole, this performance just doesn't hold up for me, and therefore she's better than Basinger, but she is definitely number four here. She's also my number four. Um... I'm giving Gloria Stewart four because, yeah, the movie is working for her. It culminates into something that I think is punctuated by her performance. But if you just isolate what she's doing here, I don't think it's anything um, exceptional. I think it's just all the pieces coming together in the end that really sells that emotional moment with her at the finale. But otherwise, I think Gloria Stewart is just perfectly fine in titanic so she gets my number four yeah for sure now this is where i don't think we're gonna line up because i'm giving julianne Moore my third spot um i i've seen this character in real life um and i think it's a really really good first nomination but there is just more i think as a whole is just swallowed up by her film because there's so much going on and i you know i mentioned this before if you're going to be in this type of movie um, you need to really, really stand out for me. And there's just something that at a certain point in the movie, I forget more is there. And I think that is the testament to her acting. She's just, she's good where she has her moments, but as a whole, I'm not, I'm not remembering her in the end. So for that, Julianne Moore, number three. I'm giving Minnie Driver number three. Um, I have a feeling that Minnie Driver out of these five um, supporting actress characters might be the most relatable to people. She, I think Skylar might be the most down to earth when it comes to who these other characters are. But um, I wasn't exactly raving about her performance when it was over. And um, I guess it's kind of hard for me to get behind Skylar or Minnie Driver's performance when I feel like the movie itself isn't all that interested in her in her role beyond how it fits into Matt Damon's life. So I'm giving her my number three. Heard, heard. Well, that means I have Joan Cusack left and Minnie Driver. And this is the fun part because originally this is, and and I'm tying them. Um, I think they both deserve to win here. And this originally was going to be my only tie of this decade. And then when we did the 95 episode two weeks ago and I like pulled that tie out, I was like... (gasps) I don't want to do two in a decade again, but I did. Um, I've always been Cusack here. I think that there's there's no surprise there. Um, I think what Cusack is doing is amazingly brilliant and funny and hilarious. And I always was Cusack for being a two-time Oscar winner. Um, I think she deserved it. She deserved it for Working Girl. She deserved her here. But going into Goodwill Hunting again driver being a, another character who I've seen before really sells it for me. And I think she's doing beautiful work and yes, the movie isn't doing her any favors, but she really makes it her own. And I, I just, I, I could not, not tie it here for the podcast. And I think they both deserve to win. So I'm giving Joan Cusack the runner-up spot for In-N-Out, and I'm rewarding Julianne Moore for Boogie Nights. I think Joan Cusack is just simply delightful in In-N-Out. It's so fun to watch her just lose her ever-loving shit 
throughout this movie. And I think she was perfect for it. But there's something about Julianne Moore in Boogie Nights that really pulls me along and really draws me in. And I really feel for her when I'm watching that film where I want her to succeed. And she kind of does in her own right within her own like little world. But there's so much going on outside of that that she's battling against where... I just can't help but want to be on her side. And um, it doesn't happen very often where I feel so committed to a character and wanting to see them succeed and being really disappointed when it doesn't happen. So um, Julianne Moore gets my win for the year for Boogie Nights. Heard that, heard that. So our lead actress nominees, as a reminder, were Helen Hunt in As Good As It Gets, Helena Bonham Carter in The Wings of the Dove, Julie Christie in Afterglow, Judy Dench in Mrs. Brown, and Kate Winslet in Titanic. And I was going back and forth on who to give my four and five to. So I think I'm just going to go ahead and give Kate Winslet five for Titanic. Um, it's perfectly fine. Um, it's not her best by any means. She's not actively bad in it. But Titanic's not really a movie that you watch and talk about the acting. You know, it's so much more than that. And I'm not sure how interested James Cameron really was in the acting. Um, and I think the, the performances are good for what they are, but I think they ultimately suffered because of it. And they could have been so much better if they had a director who, was actu who actually cared about that part of the filmmaking process. So um, Kate Winslet gets my five for the year. Heard that. I am giving Helen Hunt the winner, which means I gave both winners the last place this year, I just realized. Um, the fifth spot, this is just bad. This isn't anything to really run home about. And I'm not connected to anything about this movie, Hunt included. So therefore, number, Helen Hunt, that winner is at number five. Helen Hunt gets my number four. Um, yeah, I don't know how how much this movie really cares about her in comparison to the Jack Nicholson character. It seems like Brooks was far more interested in that character overall. And Hunt's doing perfectly okay for what she has to work with. But she does have a very interesting way of delivering her lines that feels both real and not real at the same time. And um, it's a bit of a head-scratcher of a win for me. Um, so I'm giving Helen Hunt my number four. Well, I'm actually giving Kate Winslet my number four, so we just flip-flopped here. Um, I just think, I, I think again, Kate is doing acting for a blockbuster. I think it's uh, more interesting than what Hunt's doing, but it's still nothing to be, like, wowed about. So, therefore, I'm giving Kate Winslet my number four. I'm giving Julie Christie number three for Afterglow. She's by far the best thing about Afterglow, which is just a, a really odd film and... Um, actively bad in many ways um, and she really makes the most of what she has to work with which is very questionable material to say the least and uh, that says something so Julie Christie gets my number three for Afterglow. We agree there Julie Christie at number three um, while this is pretty good work from Christie the movie is just so shitty and not that I'm ever I don't think I will ever watch Afterglow again but if I would, it's only to see Christie's performance. So, right there, yeah, or to just be, or just to watch the train wreck that is Lara Flynn Boyle's performance. Ah, oh, so bad. So.
So I'm giving the runner-up spot to Judy Dench for Mrs. Brown, and I'm rewarding Helena Bonham Carter for The Wings of the Dove. Uh, this is a great first nomination from Judy Dench uh, here. Uh, she does some really intricate work um, to bring the various facets of Queen Victoria to life here. And Mrs. Brown was a movie that I found myself more interested in than I expected to be. And likewise, The Wings of the Dove, I was way more interested in than I expected to be. And Helena Bonham Carter is doing some deceptively complex stuff here. And I was so drawn in by her. And I wish we got more of this Helena Bonham Carter. I love the crazy cuckoo banana stuff that we get from her with Tim Burton and Harry Potter. But there's something really special about this side of her that I wish we got more of. And I'm really excited to see what she does in this next season of The Crown. I'm hoping it's more of this brand of Helena Bonham Carter and we get to see a, a resurgence in that regard. So Helena Bonham Carter gets my win for The Wings of the Dove. You know, it's so funny. We were so close in both of these and I'm just flipping it here again. Helena Bonham Carter is my runner up and I'm giving it to Judy Dench. I agree with everything you said about Helena Bonham Carter. I think, I think, you know, it's a really good first nomination. And this is, I was more, I was a lot more invested in this movie than I thought it was going to be. Um, but Judy Dench for me is the clear winner in this train rack of a category because while Helena Bonham Carter, I mentioned is really good and does a lot of just facial acting. Judy's giving me the full package of what I need of facial line delivery and body movement and i think she's really really strong here and therefore i'm giving it to judy dench yes i tied mini driver joan cusack as supporting judy dench as my lead yeah and i had helena bonham carter as my lead for the wings of the dove and julianne moore as my supporting for boogie nights and per usual did any of these winners shock you um i did expect you to go for joan cusack i was not expecting the tie but I at least did predict the Joan Cusack portion of that. In lead, um, I guess I saw you going between Mrs. Brown. And honestly, I thought maybe Afterglow. I thought you just might say fuck it and give it to Julie Christie because she is doing some really good stuff here in a train wreck of a film. So I thought mm -hmm. there's a world where Joey rewards her simply for that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's where I predicted things going. So I couldn't tell if you were going to go for more or Cusack. I knew it was one of the two for sure. Um, but your Bonham Carter, I was like, this is Brandon all over it. Like, I totally expected that from you. Oh, but, really? Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, I wasn't sure if you're going Cusack or more, but then I'm like, you know, he's already given Cusack in one and, but then at the same time, I'm like, well, he'll have more chances to give more ones. I just really wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely one of the two, but right. I'm just 1997. We, 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 we did it. We got, we survived. It. We survived. Um, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Um, I don't think so. I don't think I have anything on the horizon. Perfect. Neither do I. And with that said, guys, we'll see you next week. I am Joey Gentili. And I'm Brandon Stanwick. And you've been listening to Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per category per decade. And this was the class of 1997. On a count of three, in French, we will say goodbye. Un, deux, trois. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye, guys.